Lord, we come before you and ask that you bless this time, ask that you guide and lead us as we look at your word, and that we will see what you'd have us to see from this. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 88. A song or psalm for the sons of Korah to the chief musician upon the Mahathlath Len Anath Niskil of Heman and the Ezraite. O Lord God of, our, of my salvation, I have cried day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear unto my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down to the pit. I am as the man that has no strength. Free among the dead like the slain which lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and they are cut off from your hand. You have laid in me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Your wrath lies hard upon me, and, and you have afflicted me with all your waves, Selah. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up. I cannot come forth. My eyes mourn by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hand unto you. Will you show wonders to the dead? And Shall the dead rise and, and praise you? Selah. Shall the, your loving kindness be declared in the grave or in the fullness of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But unto you have I cried, O Lord, and in mourning shall my prayer prevent you. Lord, why cast you off my soul? Why hide you your face from me? I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up while I suffer your terror. I am distracted. God's fierce wrath goes over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around about me daily like water. They compass me about together. Lover and friend have you put far from me and my, my acquaintances into darkness. This is a very depressed psalm. They, David had a lot of problems with depression and, and sorrows. and I, I, he, as, For as strong as he was and as much as he praised God, there's a lot of these psalms that you read and see that David, as most musicians do, feels things very deep. Uh, a lot of musicians and artists in general have this, their lows are very low and their highs are very high, and they don't usually sit in the middle on a nice even keel. They're either way up or way down, which of course makes their artistry, their songs come from those highs and lows points, and this psalm is very clearly one of those low points in his life. And in, and usually when he starts singing and, and bringing out these songs, his lows kind of even out. But this one is, doesn't come back. So it starts out in verse 1. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ears upon my cry. So here we are. We're singing. The, we're seeing this, this desperate. At least he recognizes Lord God of my salvation. And this would be... Uh, the whole idea of Yahweh El uh, being brought out. And he says, I've cried day and night. Whatever it is that has afflicted David's soul in this psalm, he is crying bitterly for a while. And sometimes we're there where we don't know what's going on and all we can do is mm -hmm. beg God 
God help. Especially and, when it's hot out. My huh? brain, I, especially <laughs> when it's hot out, my brain, I get headaches. Oh. You're in trouble for the next 14 days, huh? I know, yeah. And he says, let my prayer come before you, incline your ears. He's having that picture of God stretching out to hear and listen. And this is sometimes when, we're, when you're really down, you get this way. You can pray to God and say, God, please, I need you to hear. God, bend down. Just come and listen. Get, get a little closer so you can hear me. And here David is saying just that. God, just, just come a little closer. I need you to hear my cry. And this cry is that idea of a ringing cry. It's not, he is not even whispering or anything. It's just a loud cry that, that sounds off of the, the, the walls of stuff. And he says, God, I am really crying out. And it says, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws nigh unto the grave. And soul here is your innermost being. And it says, it's, it's full of trouble. And this is a pretty sorry state to be in when your soul is full of trouble. And here David is not seeing God at work. He's not seeing God's presence. He's not feeling God's presence. And this is when we have our greatest trials is when we're not attuned to God and we're not feeling God. And you know, one thing we want to be careful about feelings is feelings lie to us all the time. You know, I just feel that God's ignoring me. Well, quit worrying about your feeling and trust in what he says, that he's right there. He's not, he hasn't left. And David oftentimes was on these feeling, feeling binges. And you've got to think about this. In David's case, sometimes he was in a pretty bad place. You know, I don't know where this psalm is actually in his life, but you know, we think back on his life and he was chased by Saul for a good portion of it. Saul trying to kill him everywhere he's going, and he's running from Saul because he doesn't want to kill Saul. Isn't a lot of these psalms, um, they're crying for help, they're crying. It's, these psalms, all of them are like, after everything they went through, they are, you know, this is. Many times that's exactly what's happening here is David is just, God, you, I don't feel you anywhere around me. I don't see you working around me. David didn't have the advantage of Romans 8.28 that all things work together yeah. for good. Uh, now that principle is brought out through the rest of the scriptures as well. But David would get into these places where, God, I don't feel you. I don't see you at work in my life. And this is why we as humans have to be very careful that we don't base our expectations about what God is or is not doing by what we feel and what we said. We talked about that this morning. Well, it's like... I, you know, sometimes get that way, but then I never think that way because I always know, I said, I know what you have done to me, and I thank you so much, but I'm still going. And David but should no, have been I able to do that himself. That. David should have been able to do that himself. What did he tell Saul when he said, I can beat this giant? He goes, your servant has been in the field, and the lion attacked, and I killed the lion. A bear attacked, I killed the bear because of God's power. He already knew at a younger age how to do speak to himself the truth of what God has done. But when you go through a long period of time where nothing seems to be going right, sometimes it's pretty easy to turn to God and say, God, uh, what are you doing? Pay attention to me. You've, you've forgotten me. But this is the point. That's why I said we've got to get away from our sight and our feelings and say, God, 
you've promised that you're going to take care of me. You've promised that everything is under your control. You've promised that all things work together for good. And the statement that I have liked quoting since I've heard it, God's perfect will is what I would choose if I knew everything, even if I'm in the middle of all hell breaking loose in my life, if I knew everything, I would look and say, oh, okay, I understand why this is exactly where I should be. But again, this is why I say we've got to drift, we've got to get away from the feelings and our, what we see and into what God says. And you're right, it is hard at times. The more you do it, the easier it gets. God is our defense. He cares about us, and he has only our best in, in mind for us. But the problem that we have is oftentimes, and like I said, the problem is I look and I don't feel like God loves me. I look around and I don't see him in, my, in what I see doing what I think he should be doing. And then I can get depressed if I don't fall back on all is for my good and God is in control. The more I truly believe that all is for good and that God is in control, the easier it gets to stand up and say, okay, God, I, and, I, and I have no problem, just as I said this morning, we might not like what's going on in our life. You know, we're not going to enjoy everything that hits our life. And if we did, we'd have some problems if we actually enjoyed the pain when it comes. You know, that's not a healthy place to be. This is where when we look at what God is doing and we say, God, I don't see it, but you've got something in plan. You're still in control. You're my defense. And we just hide in him. And then as we get by and we get through, we end up where David ends up on almost all the Psalms. This one's quite dark all the way through. But usually if you, receive, if you remember most of the Psalms, he starts out very dark and complaining. By the time he gets to the end, God, you're my strength, you're my, yeah. you're my, this one doesn't do this for whatever reason, this one doesn't do this. When we look around and see what God's doing and we see hard times come our way, if we truly believe, and this is the test, part of the test, if I truly believe that God's in control and that all things work together for good, then I'm going, God, I don't understand it, I don't even like it necessarily, but I'll do it. it's for, you've got a good reason for it and I'm going to just endure and then we get to the end of it and see that God delivered us and supplied something maybe we see even why he did it maybe we don't because he never promises us that he's going to show us the why he just says it's for good and that he's in control and so we can rest in it is what it is going to be for good and as I've said, maybe not for my good even. It may be for somebody to look at you and see how well you took the trial and the hard time and they get encouraged for what they're going through. Maybe they were failing and they looked over you and said, oh, somebody can go through the hard time. And we never, and I've told this example on, you know, to before, but when God struck me with a really bad gout attack for six months and my medicines weren't doing anything, I was on crutches, a year later, this person came up to me and said, I was really encouraged watching you serve God in obvious pain. So nothing about that six months was good. Believe me, nothing was good about it for me. But God used it for somebody else's life. So we look at this and we say, God, I'm going to trust that it's for good. And I think God just let me find out about it so I could use it for an example to help people 
know that sometimes it is good even though we don't see how it can be. David being chased around the kingdom was not in a very good situation because he was a military, think about this, he was a military genius. He could have taken Paul, a Saul out on more than one occasion that we're told, and I'm sure there's more that we didn't know anything, that he could have gone into battle with Saul's people and killed Saul. And yet he wouldn't do it because he was waiting for God to remove him. So, you know, we look at this and say, wow, what was David learning? David was learning to depend on God more than anything else. And so it says in verse, verse here, my soul, verse three, my soul is full of troubles and my life draws nigh into the grave. You know, he's feeling like he's told, he, he's so miserable, he's because I'm dying. How many people have been in that place? I mean, uh, I've, I've talked with a lot of people more than, than I've gone through it. You know, they're, they're feeling so down that they just feel like they're dying. I've and Especially when I broke my bones, I felt that way a lot of times when I broke my ankle. And this is David's complaint, you know, I'm dying, God. You know, things are so bad, I'm dying. Usually the person's not really dying, you know, or not even close to dying. You they're they're just miserable. Just, they're, but sometimes you wish it. You might wish it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've done that a lot. Verse 5, I am counted with them that go down to the pit. I am as a man that has no strength. So again, he's in this picture of I'm dying. I, you know, everybody who looks at me thinks I'm dying. And this is one of the things we have to be careful of. When we start getting into our emotions, our emotions will lie to us. I'm dying. Everybody thinks that I'm dying or should be dead. And, and you start, the more you get into this, the more deep you get into it. But we see this, I mean, if you've ever been down or you, or you feel, especially if you've been sinning and you're under conviction and you're going, everybody knows, everybody's talking about me, everybody is, nobody wants to be around me because they, and most people don't know what you've done that you're under conviction for, but because you're under so much conviction, you feel like everybody knows, everybody's talking about you, everybody is, is you know, and, and you're looking at this and then you start looking at people and and they're talking about something else and they and you think they're talking about you and you get paranoid and this is where David's at. This is the point where David's at on this psalm. It, you know, everybody's out to get me. I'm, I'm falling apart. I'm dead. They all know I'm dead. I have all no strength. Away. All my friends have departed from me. None of none of them have come to visit me since I've been sick. Uh, so they must know they must know I'm dying or something. Hey, okay, verse five. Free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. Whom you remember no more, and they are cut off from your hand. This really does show how depressed David's at because he's going, if they die, you don't, God, you don't even remember them anymore. And that's not a true statement. God's going to remember. Can you imagine when somebody goes down and God has to send them to hell, the sadness that he feels, the love that he feels for them, and who knows what it's going to be like for eternity for him. He's going to wipe our mind, but is he going to wipe his own mind to these people? That he, well, it says that he, even if I descend into hell, you were there. There's nothing in the scriptures that say God is not in hell. It's just that he does not minister to them in hell. There's not going to be comfort. They're not going to feel his love. They're not going to feel his mercy. They will feel judgment. And if, he, if, if they feel anything at all about God, they're going to feel his judgment and his righteous anger that they rejected him. Remember that hell is a prison. It's not a kingdom. It's a prison for Satan and his demons and all those who reject Jesus. 
So funny, I always thought that Satan was the king of hell. Most people believe that he's the yeah. king of hell, but he's not. He's a, he is a prisoner in hell, which means That's if it's a prison, if there's a prison, that means there's guards and people that are watching it, which will be God, but there will be no mercy. There will be no love. All he wants to do, all his, Satan's greatest desire is that he wants to hurt God as much as possible by taking as much of God's precious creation away from him. This is where it's so critical. God's gift of salvation is so simple, so free, and yet people are going to reject it. For many of us, how long did it take us to get saved before we finally recognized that it was so simple? But Satan's whole goal is to take people away from God. Not that he's building a kingdom, not that he's trying to build a, a leadership, he just wants to hurt God. That is, as you say, a very sad thing that that's his whole goal. It's not like he's trying to build a kingdom which you can kind of understand, but the fact that all he wants to do is hurt God makes his whole motivation really hard to swallow. And yet, for mankind, the message is so simple. And it is amazing to me how many people I'll share the message of Christ to, and they'll go, it's too simple, or, or what is my part, or, you know, your part's nothing. Just accept. So in verse 6 says, You have laid me in the lowest pits in darkness in the depths. And David's pretty depressed here. He's, you know, he's feeling like he's in hell. Now, this is not unusual for people to feel like they're in hell. Now, nothing on this earth is really hell. The fun thing about this is, for us as Christians, this is as close to hell as we're ever going to be, and it's nothing like hell. And this isn't, this isn't even close to being hell. But the really sad thing is, those who are going to hell, this is as close to heaven as they're ever going to see. And there's nothing good here on this world for that to be the case of. And yet, for those who go to hell, this is as close to heaven as they're ever going to experience, and there is no heaven here. This is a very, very sad thing when people look, when, when, when we look at how the lost world is going to be. Saying, you know, you've sent me down to the pit, the cistern, the dungeon, this is, this is darkness, there's no light here, you put me in the depths. It says, your wrath lies hard upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves, Selah. You're saying, I'm feeling waves of anger coming upon me, just wave after wave. This is, this, I'm wondering what part of David's life this is in. I'm wondering if this wasn't during the period of time when he had sinned with Bathsheba and was not seeking after God. Could be. Because you've got to remember, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, she got yeah. pregnant, he killed yes. Uriah, that first child died, and he did not go to God until after that child died. So we're talking a year or more that he is not seeking God because of the guilt and, and conviction he's feeling. So I have a feeling this may be that part in his life, that he is just, I'm depressed, nothing's right. Because he doesn't come, as we mentioned already, he doesn't come full circle back to where God is lifting him up. So, and there's no time marker on this. I don't know. There's nothing here to say when it is, but that is when David, one of the times when David was at his absolute lowest. I mean, he used to run from Saul. He ran from Saul, but he always turned to God. He realized that God was still in control. When he was running from Absalom, he still understood that God was in control. So we see this. I'm wondering if this is that period of time where... Everything seems to be going wrong for him because he has, not, he, con he has not confessed his sin. He has not 
come forward and said, you know, I'm a, I'm a sinner. And when you're trying to run from God's conviction, you're in a bad place. Because God's convicting you, you know you're wrong, and everything seems to go wrong. You don't want to be around God's people. You don't want to be near God's people. You don't want to open the Bible. And everything seems to be going wrong and when you're in that place. And here David is, everything's going wrong. Everything. He says, I'm down in the darkest pit. Your, your wrath and your anger is coming at me wave after wave. And this could be just a simple temptation because you've got to, you, you could picture Job saying the same thing. God, wave after wave keeps coming at me of your anger. I don't know what I've done, but wave after wave is coming. When we're down, when, when things seem to be going wrong and we're under conviction, this is something that happens to us. Where everything seems to be going wrong, nothing seems to go right, God doesn't seem to care. And he's sitting there waiting for us saying, well, would you just please come back? I want you to come back. He's not going to stop all the troubles from happening to us because he's trying to draw us back. And he's saying, here's your troubles, trouble after trouble. Come back. And sometimes we're in a position that Job was in where God's just saying, well, we're going to test you and see if you can endure, if you can endure the hardship. And we don't know where this is exactly, but he's crying out, your wrath, God, nothing but your wrath is coming upon me. I am afflicted. Pretty amazing sometimes, isn't it, when we look and, and as you say, we don't even realize that we're drifting away from God and how easy it is to drift away from him. How easy is it for us to drift with, away from God because we're not paying attention? And like you say, you're not aware of it. You're not, you're not getting into any really bad things. You're just not following God. You're not reading your Bible. Or, and the next thing you know, you're way away from God and you're going, how did I get here? And this is the problem we have in, in our life. The movie Woodland that we watched when he was talking to, when Nathan was talking to Johnny on the bridge, and she goes, I'm Christian like all others, which told us right there she wasn't really a Christian. She was she just... She was like when I was young, probably. Yeah. I kind of believe in God. You know, I believe yeah. there's a God. And because I believe in Jesus and a God, I'm a Christian. And especially, yeah, living, especially living in the South, that would have been true. But I don't have time for him. I don't, you know, he, I don't, he doesn't have part of my life. I'm just, I'm just there. If we got what we deserve, even as Christians, if we got what we deserve, I would be gone. We'd be in heaven already. Mm-hmm. Or in hell if we, if we got what we deserved before we became a Christian. The patience, love, and grace of God is so amazing. Because God says he has put the sin under the blood. It is removed as far as the east is from the west. He's put him into the deepest sea. And you know, like a lot of pastors say, and he hung on no fishing sign, which that's their, that's their little statement. But when God removes sin, by divine fiat, by divine command, he no longer remembers. But by divine command, he says he's not going to remember. God cannot forget anything. But by divine command, he says the son's paid for it. It's under the blood. I'm forgetting it. So when you come up to God and you've asked him to forgive you of your sins and then you come back up the next day or the next week and say, God, forgive me of that sin. God knows that you're referring to something that's in the past and buried, but I can almost, I picture God as having this confusion. Okay, what are they talking about? But God forgave you of those things. When you came to the son and accepted that sin, uh, sacrifice for your sin, it's under the blood. We confess our sins so that we go back into fellowship with him. 
And again, we've, we've talked about this. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And it's not a salvation forgiveness. It is a fellowship forgiveness. What's the difference? Well, salvation is once you're saved and you truly are saved, you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are always saved. You're not going to lose that salvation. Now, you can sin and be out of fellowship with God because he convicts you, and you're, it's not him pulling away from you at that time. It's you're, you're refusing to confess your sin, and, and when you have a dark spot in your life that you don't want it to be exposed to God, and we've talked about this, when you're sinning, the last place you want to be is in church. The last place you want to be is reading the Bible because every time you pick up the Bible, God's conviction puts on. So you do everything to pull away. You pull away from God. And this is why 1 John 1, 9 comes in. We confess our sins. We agree with God that what we did is a sin. He says, good, thank you, puts it under the blood for us, and we're back into fellowship with him. And you did everything that you were supposed to do during that time. You stayed in fellowship. You stayed hearing. You stayed learning. If we pull away from everything, and this happens in the majority of the times, unfortunately, that people pull away when they feel convicted, then they get often into trouble. And maybe they don't go into deep sins, but they get away from God and they feel just like David. Everything's against me. I'm in the pit. You know, the darkness is surrounding me. God is just nothing but mean and angry at me. And all, if they really understood... He's standing there with love and compassion saying, would you just please ask for help? I'm ready to lift you up out of the pit that you're in, that you, you, know, that, you're in that you put yourself into. Not that I put you into, but that, that you put yourself into. And he's saying, just ask for, ask for the help, and I'm ready right here to pull you up out of the pit. And he's always there, ready. He's the prodigal father, the, the father of the prodigal son, waiting for the son to come down the road, or daughter, and seeing them a long ways off, running to them because they have finally decided that, yes, I want the help. God is that way with us. He is not sitting there, you know, and I, and I kind of made fun of it. He's not playing whack-a-mole with us. So we stick our head up and pounding us over the top of the head because we dared to look at him. He's saying, oh, you've popped up out of the pit. Let's come and, you know, you know pick us up and grab us and hold us and and hug us and kiss us, you know, and say, finally, you've come back. And yet we're always so afraid of coming to him because we're afraid that he's going to beat us and knock us over the head and everything. But we've got to see God for who he is and how much he loves his children. He's not looking for reasons to discipline us. He's looking for reasons to love us and to accept us. And that means for us just to turn to him and say, help just as any good parent does with their child. When their children need help and ask for it, and truly need it and mean it, they're going to grab hold of them and say, I'll help you if I can. They're not looking for some reason to beat them. Now, I know there's bad parents out there that, are, that, are, that aren't like that. You know, they're, they're just bad parents. But a good parent wants to help their child and love them. And then God is a perfect parent. He's, he's looking for us to look up out of that pit, to look up from the bottom of the pit and say, God, help, I need you. And he's saying, thank you, good, come on, help. You know, you're tired of eating those, all, those, those husks and, and, and seeds and, and feeding the pigs and, and smelling like a pig. Thank you, come on up, let's clean you up and give you a fantastic meal and, and show you how much I love you. 
David never gets to that point on this, this particular psalm, but that's how God is. In, we're told in another verse, and I can't remember where on the top of my head, that his arms are underneath us. He catches us before we even fall very far. He loves us that much. He's not going to let us fall to the bottom of a pit. All we have to do is say, God, I need you. And he says, thank you, forgiven. Come on back. Let's have fellowship. And he convinces us that our, that our sin's underneath the blood, and he just loves us and, and has a relationship. But we've got to keep remembering is, number one, it's hard for us to accept the forgiveness of God because we know how hard we are on ourselves. Then Satan as demons come around and just kind of whisper in your ear, you know, you're so bad, God can't, God, no way God can love you. And because we're already inclined to believe that in the first place, sometimes we have trouble believing it ourselves and it's being reiterated by the demons saying, God doesn't love you, you know, you're just so bad. And then, then he wants to convince us that not only are we bad, but we're the only ones that are that bad. Again, the more we know scripture, the easier it is to answer that. No, I'm not the only one. All, all temptation is common to men. There's nothing new under the sun. God loves me. He wants me to come to him. And the more we understand these things, the less power sin has and Satan has over us. Because when we fail, and we will, we go, God, I'm sorry, I, I sinned, I'm really sorry, and God says, that's okay, come on up, I love you. I love you. I'm not that smart, and just to find this, I mean, I'm not smart. Just, just accept that he is telling the truth. Don't try, because I mean, it makes no sense, it makes no sense that God's going to love us that way. Because most parents sit there, even if they're a good parent, most parents will say, well, I want my son to suffer or my daughter to suffer a little bit so they learn their lesson. And God's not like that. He's saying, they've asked for forgiveness. I'm going to forgive them. I don't care. I don't, they're not going to, I don't want them to suffer. And he picks us right back up and, and loves us. And this is why it's important. We've got to understand his word. We've got to stand on his word and say, God, you were true. Satan in my flesh, my, my, everything about me is lying to me. Satan's lying to me. I'm going to accept what you say. And when we can get to that point, life becomes easier. That doesn't mean we're not going to be tempted in that area because you're going to constantly be tempted in this area when you fail to be able to just say, God, I'm sorry, come in back to me. Or let me come back to you, however you want to put that. Because if you've ever read the, story, the, the, the poem Footprints, you know, and, and the guy looks back and says, God, you said you'd always be with me. Why on the hardest times of my life is there only one set? And he says, those are the times I carried you. And we don't recognize that he's carrying us usually because we're so concentrated on what's going wrong in our life that we don't normally see God in it. And this is why I keep it, and I don't know why it's been, but for the last two weeks, God has had me keep iterating God is with us all the time. We need to learn to see what he's doing. And that the only thing I can think of is we've got hard times coming our way very soon. And we need to get ourselves mentally prepared for the hard times to see that even when everything goes against us, God is there. God is in control. And God has a reason. The, the disciples, if they had not been really convinced that suffering was of God, when, when they suffered, would have been going, oh, no, maybe we're not following the right God. We're doing the wrong things. You know, we misunderstood him. But they understood 
Jesus suffered, they would suffer. We need to get to that point where we know this because things are coming down the road where we need to be able to see God is still in control and he's letting things happen for his reasons. Verse 8, you have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up. I cannot come forth. David's at a place where he says even his friends are abandoning him. This is a very low spot. Some of us have been there at various points where it just seems like every, everyone, everything is against us. And this is where David's at. Verse 9, my eye mourns by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands unto you. To you, will you show wonders to the dead? From the dead, though the de shall the dead arise and praise you, Selah. <laughs> Saying, I'm praying every day, God. I'm praying, or call in this case, and I've stretched out. Will you show me wonders? Will you show wonders to the dead? Will shall the dread, dead raise up and praise you? This, this is David. He's, he's feeling very, he is at the bottom of despair. And this is why, you know, as I've said, I really think this was at his time with, with, when he's without, with, you know, during that, the time with Bathsheba before he's confessed. Because none of these other places do you see that depth of depression. Uh, Psalm 51 is, you know, cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, you know, and take not your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. That was his prayer to God as he's finally confessing his sin of, of uh, adultery and murder. And he's so afraid God's going to cast him away. You know, as much as David loved God and trusted in God, there was a very deep place that he had where he didn't trust that God loved him no matter what. And that makes sense because the Jewish religion was based upon offering your sacrifices, honoring God, doing, doing things for God. And so it under, it's understandable that as he walked away from God, he's having struggle with God saying, God, I think maybe you've cast me away. You know, what do I, what, basically, you kind of hear in this, what do I have to do to get back to you, God? You know, how loud do I have to yell for you to come, come back in? And God's saying, just ask for forgiveness. Just ask. Ask for forgiveness and repent. The idea of repenting, turn away from your sin to God, and then you find God standing right there next to you waiting, waiting for you to have turned around. You turn around in your repentance and you run straight into God's arms because he's right there, but because your back was turned to him, you, didn't, you weren't paying attention to the fact that he was right there. And you repent and there he is and he just carries you back into where you, where you fell from. This is God's love. When we fail, he's there to bring us back. Right there. Verse 11, Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave, or your full faithfulness and destruction? So again, he's still in this. You know, God, is your mercy going to be shown to those who are dead? Is your faithfulness going to be shown to those who are dead? This is, this is a man who is in a full-fledged, state of depression. This is the depression that sends people to the hospital in our day and age. You know, clinical depression that says you are so bad off that you can't see any good. This is where David's at. He is not seeing anything good whatsoever. He's seeing himself as a dead person. In our day, he'd be medicated. 
to keep him from getting to these points. He'd have his antidepressants. Um, verse 12, shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness or oblivion? You know, God, you know, will people see in the dark? Will they, will they see your righteousness in the land where, you're, where, you're, where you have forgotten us? David has this idea that God's forgotten. You know, the man who talks so often about hiding in God as his fortress, that God is his defense, he's going, God, you know, you've forgotten me. You know, actually, David has forgotten God. He's not hiding in the fortress. He's not hiding in God. He's out in the middle of nowhere suffering. And this is a very strong counterpoint to everything else that David has ever, ever given forth. He's not hiding in God. He's not fully dependent on God. He's saying, God, you've forgotten me, and he's living completely in his motions. Verse 13, But unto you have I cried, O Lord, and in the morning shall my prayer prevent you or confront you. This would be a better word. You know, he's going, God, I'm going to come before you in the morning. So David is still saying, I'm praying. He may not be praying the right things. He may not be praying confession. He may not, but he is his prayer is probably as he starts out, God, deliver me. Get me out of these troubles. And God's saying, no, you need to be in these troubles until you repent. God is very much one who will keep us in our lesson until we learn the lesson. We're going, God, let me out of this. I don't like this lesson. And God's saying, have you learned your lesson yet? No, I haven't learned my lesson yet. Then you're going to get to stay in this lesson until you learn it. God says, I know you. it takes you a lot longer, like 50 times. So you're going to go through it. And sometimes that's exactly what it is. I know it takes you five years to learn a lesson, so you get to stay in this lesson for five years until you learn it. You know, God is not taking us to the next step in the lesson until we no, learn the step yet. we're in. And this is not the public school system where you have to move on to the next lesson because the rest of the class is moving forward. God says, you haven't learned the lesson yet. When you learn this lesson, we'll move to the next lesson. Which will be harder. <laughs> But it's not harder when you take it in consideration to what you've already learned. And this is the beauty of what God does. Even though the next lessons are going to be harder than the previous lessons, they're not that much harder because we've already gone a bunch of the steps toward it. Now, it becomes a really hard lesson if we forget the previous lesson. But if we've really learned our lesson previously, it's just the next step up. It's the next step of challenge. It is what real education is all about. Adding difficulty to the next step. Verse 14, Lord, why cast you off my soul? Why hide you your face from me? I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer your terrors, I am distra distracted. Again, David, this is, this is a hard place. This is a hard check. This is a hard psalm to read because we're not seeing him ever turn the corner to come back to God. God, you've cast me off. You're hiding yourself from me. And again, we say this, even though David's saying this, this isn't what God is doing, okay? We want to understand this. Just because it says God's hiding himself, God is not hiding himself. David is hiding himself from God. He's making bad decisions. He's taking himself further and further where he's supposed to be. His back is away from God. He's walking away from God, and God's standing there saying, you know, turn around, come back, you know, repent. But because of where he's at, he's not hearing. We, we think about this. God is always calling to us. Always. Even when we're going the wrong direction, 
He's calling to us and say, turn around, come back. back on the right path. And you know, he's not just doing that to us, his children. He's doing it to the lost world as they go further and further away from him. He's calling them and saying, come back, quit going that way. I want you to follow me. I died for you. Turn around and come to me. And he sends different, different Christians in the, into their world to give them that message. And they keep rejecting and keep rejecting. And then one day, hopefully, they hear it and they turn around and there's God right behind them. Right behind them saying, come on, let's get you up out of this, out of this mess that you kept walking into away from me. But even when we're doing that to our own life, God is right there saying, turn around. Turn around. I'm right here. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to drag you back up the hill if that's what it takes. But he's not going to force us back up the way he wants us to go. He's going to allow us, if we want to wallow around in the mud for a while, he's going to allow us to wallow around in the mud, feel sorry for ourselves, feel like everybody doesn't like us, feel like God doesn't like us, feel like God's forgotten us, feel that God has cast us away, because he's willing to let us suffer if that's our choice. And the sad thing is, oftentimes it's our choice to walk away from God and, and not live in the victory that he's prepared for us. Verse 16, God's fierce wrath goes over me and your terrors have cut me off. They have come around about me daily like water. They compass me about together. Lover and friends have you put afar from me. And, your acquaintance, and my acquaintances into the dark. And this is where it ends with this very down note from David. You know, God's fierce wrath is, going, is pouring over him. Your terrors have cut me off. David is under conviction. Serious conviction here. And all he's doing is complaining about how God, miserable God is making his life. When all he had to do was repent and hide in God, and God is saying, thank you. We need to get to the point where we trust God. Even when everything about us says, there's no way God can love me, and I have been so bad that God cannot love me, God still loves us. This whole idea that God loves us no matter what we've done, he still loves us. When the people stand at the white throne judgment for having rejected Jesus Christ, and God sends them into hell, which is what they've asked for by rejecting him, he's still going to love them and be miserable. I can picture that at the white throne judgment, God is going to have tears flowing. Even though they get what they deserve and what they've wanted, he will know that they're getting, that it's not what he wanted and that he loved them. Here David's saying, your fierce wrath goes over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They have come around, they have come, come around, they come around me daily like water. They compass me all together. David's saying, I'm looking every direction and there's nothing but these terrors. There's nothing but this anger. There's nothing but this conviction. And this is what he's truly feeling is God's conviction. And when you're in that place where you're convicted and you're not willing to turn to God, you feel like you're surrounded by God, that disappointment, that anger, but it's your, your, your own flesh has generated that anger. It's not God generating that anger. He's just saying, turn, turn to me. I will lift you out of all of this chaos, all of this, this mess. And David says, my lovers and my friends have put, you have put far away from me. I mean, you've, you've removed all my friends. You, everybody who loves me has been taken away. Everybody who cares about me is taken away. Many of us have been there where we feel like we're all alone. When I walked away from God, it was that same type of feeling. I was under conviction for missing service, and then I 
blamed it on others, nobody cared, nobody called, nobody did this, and, you know, went into a pity party, it looked like everybody was walking away, and it was me walking away from God, it wasn't God doing it, it was me that was walking away from God, and we have to be careful, we need to trust God, and this is why I keep saying we need to get to the place where we see God in everything that's happening, whether it looks good or bad, God is still in control. God is still there. God has a reason, even for the things that look terrible, God is there and he has a reason. That's right. You know, yes. My mother always says, God never gives you more than you can handle. Well, that's true. That's what first that's what uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, basically says, there's no temptation overtaking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. Same thing. She just said it in a much simpler... Yeah, but I go a lot slower. I can't go that fast. I was trying to go, but then you... I learned it a long time ago, so it's stuck in my head. From one of my relations, that's one thing I remembered, and I would quote it all the time in my brain, and that's what happened to me to get rid of that bad. But it's a great verse when we think that, it, that number one, I'm, I'm being tempted with something nothing, nobody ever has been tempted with. Nope, all things are common. God, you're, you're, it's just too much. God says, nope, I won't tempt you above that which you are able. But we may not think that we can do it, but this is the same thing that good coaches... Way out, so he and the way of escape is Jesus. Yeah. But good coaches always challenge you to go beyond what you think you can do because they have already seen in you that you can do more. And God does the same thing with us. I know you can do more because I, I have put it in you and I'm your strength anyway, so I know you can do more. And he challenges us to do more than we think we can do. He challenges us to go the next step in our studies, the next step in our way to speak with people, the next step in living with him. And he says, you can do it. You can do more than you think you can do because he is our power, he is our strength. And we live so often in failure and defeat because we do not trust that God is allowing, will be with us to give us the strength to do what he's asking us to do. And we give up. All of us do at certain points. All of us at some time will say, I, get, I push through and get the victory, and then there's other times where we gave up. And we'll justify giving up. I told you that I couldn't do it. And God's saying, well, I know that you could have if you just kept going. And so we want to understand God is there. He's saying, go forward. Push. Let me deal it, because nothing's coming your way that you can't handle with me. And when you think about this, we're told, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can do anything God asks us to do. Why? Because Jesus is our power. It's not us doing it in the first place. And the more we surrender to him, the more we're going to see God doing in our life. And we're going to look around and say, wow, God, you've really been doing some great things in my life. And it's amazing sometimes when you look back over your life and you say, I would have never been thought I could get that done, or I never could have done that. I, I never could have talked in front of that group of people, but God helped me through it. I would have never been able to witness to that person because it would, they scared me, and, we, and God put it, the words in your mouth and the opportunity to share. I would have never been able to understand that section of Scripture, and God allows you to open your eyes and see. You become Ge Gehazi, whose eyes are open, and he sees the arm the army surrounded by the angels. 
you know, and say, oh, okay, we have nothing to worry about. There's more of God here than more than, than man. We need to open our eyes and see God in every situation, that God is our defender and our protection. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that we've gone through. Lord, help us to see you in all that we have. Help us to, when everything seems wrong, to turn to you, repent and confess, and just turn and find you there ready to help us out. And just go with us this week as we do things in your son's name. Amen.